Hello and welcome to the Patchwork Jukebox, a podcast where we use the songs and albums that matter to you to stitch together the story of your life. I'm Big Boy. And I'm Pinnell. And we're very excited to be here. So let's go. We think one of the best ways to get to know who people are is to hear about first about who they are, but then to, to, to dive into like what music matters to them. Mm-hmm. And so we just ask questions about what music you like, what music moves you. But first we want to hear about you and three pairs of boots who I've been listening to the last week and really enjoy your music, man. So, Oh, well, thank you. Uh, this is our um, third album, Mighty Love, which is coming out now. And um, I'd like to think that we're getting better uh, as we um, continue uh, recording, um, learning a lot uh, every time we do it. And we we're very fortunate to have some very good people helping us. Cool. Um, one of my, uh, one of the things that's not my strength is mixing. I'm mm. fine. <laughs> I'm good at producing and, and tracking and engineering and all that stuff here in our studio. But uh, we're very fortunate to have a couple of guys who are really, really good, consummate professionals at mixing, which just elevates it way beyond even like the vision in my head as to what, right. I, think, what I think it should sound like. Yeah. And they just take it so far beyond. Uh, it's, it's truly an art form, the art of mixing. Oh, yeah, I couldn't do it. You know, now that you brought that up, I've always wanted to ask somebody in your position who relies on somebody to mix your music, do they ever come back to you with a mix that sounds so far off what you had imagined the song or album was going to sound like that you, you're like, this isn't even the same music we made? And in, if that has happened to you, has it excited you or depressed you? Um, I don't actually think that's ever happened. Um, <laughs> I'm just, we're just very lucky to work with people who are really, really good at what they do. For, uh, for the first record, we had a, um, a good friend of ours who would actually, we'd work with on some prior music projects, and he mixed the first one and half of the second one. He's, um, he's a Grammy-nominated uh, mix engineer. He's a vocal producer. Now he's working in L.A. and working with... Um, Selena Gomez and Katy oh, Perry. Yep. He's extremely um, well versed, especially with with um, uh, mixing vocals. So it, it was great to work with him because he he treated Laura so well. And then uh, a couple other guys who sort of took over. Uh, one of whom is a. I mean, they're all longtime friends. Um, and one of them is this uh, friend of mine, Eddie Kaipo, who is mainly in a live in-ear monitor mix mm, guy. Nice. Well, he has his own studio, but he's out on the road a lot. He works with Enrique Iglesias and with Gwen Stefani. Wow. He's, right now he's doing a couple of gigs with uh, Matchbox 20. Um, so we're very fortunate that these people take the songs that we're doing. And for me, when I'm tracking, I have a vision, the sound vision in my head as to where I think I want it to go. And I'm tracking with my best guess as to what pieces of the puzzle I'm going to need to to put together to allow this vision in my head mm. to come to life. And these guys just take it way beyond. Uh, if anything, what happens is that the mix comes back and 
everything. There's so much clarity from them doing it uh, compared to my muddy rough mixes that um, it allows me uh, to fine tune things way beyond what I do in terms of delivering to them, uh, you know, the, the um, Pro Tool files. Um, they just are able to provide so much clarity. Mm -hmm. So it's easy for me to say, oh, you know, maybe I need to retract that one guitar right here or maybe just turn this one thing down. Uh, they, I'm sort of known for um, with them for sending them very detailed emails <laughs> after I get the mixes back, you know. You know, in bar 47 on the third beat, the, the kick drum needs to go up, you know, a half a dB, whatever it is. But as we've gotten to work together so much, I find that we're, we're so simpatico mm -hmm. that I just don't have to write very many notes. Like, they just get it. That's awesome, is, though. What a gift. It, yeah, it's, it's pretty special. Um, uh, so that's... Again, we're just very fortunate to work with people like that who I don't have to do a lot of explaining. They they understand it. And in fact, uh, um, there are two musicians besides myself on the record, um, uh, the drummer and the keyboard player, and neither of whom I worked with uh, before. On the second record, um, we were working with a drummer um, out of Nashville who's uh, the band leader drummer for Marin Morris. <laughs> and then he wasn't available, so um, one of our mix guys referred us to Randy Cook, who's a drummer down in L.A., who turned out to be just an incredibly great drummer and a really cool dude. Nice. He played, he, he's done a lot of, I mean, he's played with a lot of different um, uh, projects. Uh, grew up in Canada, so he, he was on a bunch of Canadian country hits. Uh, moved to L.A., uh, Managed to get in with Dave Stewart from the mm -hmm. Eurythmics. Yep. And uh, done a bunch of projects with him, was in Dave's band. And when Ringo Starr called Dave and said, Hey, I need a band for my Liverpool 8 project, off Randy went to uh, wherever Ringo was and got to play with Ringo. Wow. So, that's not, that's not shabby. <laughs> it was, I mean, I read an interview with, with Randy talking about that and he was. He was just talking about, you know, like the first rehearsal. He's sitting on the drums next to Ring on the drums. And he's like thinking to himself, like, how did I get here? <laughs> right. For sure, like, yeah. This is, it's surreal. Uh, so Randy uh, was on this record. Um, and in the past, the past two records, I had played keyboards myself. I'm not a piano player per se. I can kind of fake it and then, you know, <laughs> score it in MIDI uh, in Pro Tools. But on this record, I really wanted, uh, I wanted to elevate the production. And I knew that the keyboards was a real um, uh, piece of the puzzle that could really elevate uh, this record. So uh, early on, I was talking to Randy, uh, the drummer, and I said, can you refer me to a piano player or somebody you know? He said, oh, yeah, I know this guy, a friend of mine, Dave Cohen. 2018 Nashville Music Row Musician of the Year. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, that guy. So, uh, and so we you know we're just we all have Pro Tools. We all have our own studio. So, mm -hmm. send them files. Uh, in the beginning, like the first couple of songs with with Dave, I sent him charts, and I sent him you know uh, some 
tracks I had done, like, okay, here's like a starting point. Think about this. And he sent me back his tracks. They were fantastic. Um, very easy for me to, to comp and, and just elevated the song so much. Um, and I asked him after he sent it back, I said, so did you use the charts or was, did, did the, my stems help you? He goes, no, didn't listen to the stems, didn't look at the charts. I just <laughs> kind of, I just sort of did it myself. Because I'd also told him, and I've told Randy as well, uh, play what you hear. Uh, yeah. You know, like I, there's drum loops on the stems I send Randy, but I, but I also I just tell him like, you guys can think about things that I can never come up with. Mm -hmm. So, ultimately, play what you hear. I'll comp it together, and um, they they did tremendously. They they really both of them really elevated this album for us. The keyboards, especially. I mean, the the drummer we had in the second record was also a very good drummer. Um, just like Randy, but having a real piano player, a real keyboard player, and interestingly enough, also when when he f sent back his first batch of tracks, uh, I had told him, you know, send me back MIDI files because I want to use my plugins so I can choose which organ I want mm -hmm. and which piano. Well, he did that, and he also said, you know, I also tracked some audio waves for you to consider as well, which, you know, he um, sent me, uh, his tracks where he played on his B3 nice. in his studio and, you know, his grand piano and his roads. And, and I listened to those and like, okay, don't bother sending me MIDI tracks anymore. Right. Yeah, you I do don't it. need them. You do it. <laughs> well, and send me the real thing, like his uh -huh. real instruments. Of course, just, they just sound better than any of the plugins. Right. Of course. And there's, there's such a, you know, there's a natural feel to those instruments anyway. Um, so that was, that was really special. And I literally from that point onward with both of them, I just said, play what you hear and send it back to me. I never had to go back to them and say, Oh, I didn't quite get what I want. Uh, you know, can you do it again? Um, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm very good at, uh, at comping, um, tracks together for the drums and the keyboards. Uh, I'm, I have a lot of attention to detail. So, uh, and I really like doing that. Uh, it's, it's fun and challenging. And the great thing about the, all the parts of the keyboard player um, sent back, which I turned into, you know, big pieces of the song puzzles. And it's, you know, there were points where it's like, oh, this works great. I love this, this piano riff he plays in the chorus. It's going to become part of the, the, the foundation of right. the chorus. And then I have to go back can retract the guitars. So I'm, I'm quite used to retracting guitars <laughs> in, a, in the, in the, you know, how we work because there isn't really a band. It's really me taking, you know, a voice memo on my phone where I'm playing an acoustic guitar and Laura's singing into a full band production. Right. Uh, and then, so I'll, I'll track initial guitars and bass guitars and whatever, and then the then the demo vocal gets on, and I start to reshape it to be around her vocal. Um, and then here come the drums, and here comes the keyboards, and great, I've you know tracked a bunch more stuff, and then those things get in there, and then it's like okay, some of what I had played doesn't work anymore. Right. <laughs> you know, shape it some more. It's a kind of a marathon, you know. That's kind of awesome. It's kind of like a Bernie Elton type formula where you're just sending stuff to each other mm -hmm. and like d building something out of different visions. It sounds awesome. Uh, it's, you know, it, 
it works and you leave a certain amount to just to serendipity to chance sure uh and i just love um working with these great musicians who you know just i i know that they can you know because they're so good at their instruments they can you know play things that i could never think of if i'm trying to score in midi or if i'm trying to use find the right drum loops it's just mm-hmm. the one of the really um fantastic things about working with randy the drummer is he would always send me back he'd play through the song three times send me back three versions but what he also did was uh, and he does this all the time he sends back video of him playing to the tracks oh that's crazy wow yeah so it's not just you get it and you know you're looking in pro tools and there's 15 tracks you know rolling across the screen that you're gonna you know comp you know you got got three Mm -hmm. different takes and you create a comp take and but you can to see him to be able to see him play it um just makes it so much easier and he in particular and my wife had mentioned this the first time she saw the video. I didn't know he was going to send me a video. He's, you know, he, we sent him one track, like, okay, let's see if we work well together uh, at the very beginning of the record and got it back and watched the video. And I like immediately like, you know, told Laura to come upstairs like right away. It's come up right now. Right. <laughs> and she came up, she watched him play through this. Uh, she, he was actually playing through um, Evensong, uh, which is one, uh, one of the ballads on the record. And she said, this guy just plays with so much joy. Mm. You can just see the enthusiasm. And, wow. And it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty special. Do you catch so, yourself choosing those uh, takes where in the video he's showing the most joy? Um, well, I mean, he does, sort of, he does show his joy like all the time. All the time. <laughs> I mean, that's fantastic. That's I mean, the best case all, scenario. Whenever he's playing, I mean, that's just it. That's just his, yeah. you know. He just plays with joy, um, but I am I am a little influenced by it. Uh, I think by watching him play because sometimes, you know, I'll get something that mm-hmm. I might not have if I just was watching the tracks roll sure. by and listening. So uh, it's a fascinating way to uh, and a much easier way for me to comp the drums together. So. That's a really cool formula, huh? Really I don't know that. That's awesome. How does that translate for you when you're performing live with all the work that's done collaboratively through technology, you know, separately from one another? How do, how do you cobble all of that together to do a live performance? Um, that is it's a really good question and a, a challenge and something that I'm still trying to work through. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done some gigs earlier on, uh, more pre-pandemic where uh it was laura and i just going out and playing as an acoustic duo sure. one acoustic guitar and that was um i don't want to say difficult but uh challenging because we're taking songs on the record that are full band right with you know five to ten different guitar parts and keyboards and whatever else and i'm boiling down to one right. guitar part and there's, you know, and we've got, of course, that, you know, stacked vocals, as you might be able to tell from listening to yes. Mighty Love. Um, we like a kind of layered, lush mm-hmm. type of approach to, to um, uh, music. Uh, we're very big into melody and a lot of ear candy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, it, that's been challenging. And it's a difficult bridge to get across because... Uh, 
putting a band together is time consuming, costs money, um, and musicians are, of course, the most reliable people in the world. Uh, so I haven't really quite figured that out yet. We, uh, you know, if the opportunity presented itself, you know, if Bruce Springsteen called tomorrow and said, "Hey, we'd like you to be the opening act." Well. I'm going to next, my next phone call is going to be down to Randy in LA right. and say, all right, you're now the drummer and the band leader. Go find me a band. That's right. Uh, so I, I figure it's just going to happen uh, somewhat organically as opportunities come around. We'll um, start to expand upon how we play live. We did, uh, did play a gig um, uh, earlier in the summer where I had a stand-up bass player okay. and a friend of mine playing drums. Uh, I just really wanted to see, like, what does this sound like if we take these songs live with a band, mm -hmm. even though it's very stripped down. Uh, and it was it was fun. Uh, a lot of stuff worked. Some stuff didn't work. Right. Uh, and uh, but then I, you know, at the end of the night, and of course, as we were going home from the gig, I told Laura, "It's like, okay, we." We got to stop at In-N-Out and grab some burgers. It's eleven thirty at night. We just finished a gig. We have to get burgers and shakes on the way home from. Had to have that double is, double. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, the next day or so, realized, wow, really had a lot of fun doing that. It was nine hours of pack up the car, go down wow. the gig, unpack the car, set up, play, break it down, back into the car, home, mm -hmm. unpack the car. You know, it's it's a lot. It is a lot, so I'm hoping that um, you know something will break, something will happen with a song or the album that will sort of catapult us to the next yeah. step. Um, in the meantime, we're just going to continue recording albums, and we just finished shooting the first video for oh. um, the this current album. We're going to shoot another one uh, early September. Um, the the great thing about playing music is that you just you don't know where it's going to lead you. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, nothing could happen, or something out of left field could totally change the trajectory. Right. Um, so uh, you just hope that um, that the joy you get from playing is enough, because mm. well, you I never like know. That. You never know what what else can happen, and maybe nothing will happen. There's Many, many stories of musicians who are very good who don't yeah. really yeah. have that kind of, you know, monetary success or recognition that they should have gotten. But I'm um, glad you quantified that because I don't think necessarily success means you got rich doing it. But I love that you're able to find the joy in what you're doing and then welcome whatever comes. Yeah, that's that. I think that's a good way, a healthy way to look at it. Uh, fortunately, I still feel like a 15 year old when I'm playing <laughs> Excellent. that, that juice, it. that juice I got when I first discovered, you know, playing music. Uh, I still get that. It's still, it's still electricity. And I actually had a conversation with our manager, um, Aaron, who uh, runs a management company out of Nashville. Um, Cause she was asking me uh, probably a year or so ago, right when the second record came out, what success meant to me. Hmm. And I told her that, you know, well, I'm already very successful. I can walk into my studio. I know how to record. I know how to play guitar. I know how to write songs. 
I'm working with my spouse. She's an incredible singer. Um, and I just get so much joy just from the pure aspect of writing and playing and recording. We love working in the studio. Um, and so everything from that, from beyond that is icing on the cake. Love now, that. Perfect. I would love to, you know, have it um, break even or make some money at it. Uh, fortunately, uh, or fortunately, I do not really, uh, I'm able to support it without that happening. I had another job for a long, long time, another business that I ran that um, I finally offloaded. And uh, instead of working two full-time jobs, I now only have to work one. That's nice. Uh, Good. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm just glad that I can find that kind of, of joy and exuberation in it. And we love working in the studio. We love um, writing songs. Uh, we're kind of always right now, I think I've, I've learned a, so much from our manager about how to release a record since we're not on, on a label. We're essentially mm -hmm. acting as our own label. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've really finally learned by this record to get the timeline down. Oh, yeah. If I want to sure. release a record in September, it has to be finished by the, by the prior December. Okay. After you finish the record, then it's go get the pictures and get your designer and then get all the promo stuff, you know, pulled together. And then you hire the team, the publicist, the radio promoter, the video promoter, go shoot a video. It's like this giant timeline over months and months and months. And so for us, this record is just about to hit out there so everybody can hear it. In the meantime, we have one foot in the next record already. We've been right. writing and recording for months now working on the next record. So you're, so it's, it's just a continuous cycle that we, you don't, it, you're, you're always creating and then you're also releasing to the public. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting to sort of, you know, part of your head is in, Oh, you know, the record we did last year, which we love, but it's done. It's so nice to feel that it. it's finished. And now everybody finally gets a chance to hear it. And at the same time, you know, the other half of, you know, your head is like, Oh, uh, you know, I'm in the middle of tracking this song right. and this song, this song has this punch list and this song has this punch list and, you know, and getting it, you know, getting keyboard tracks and, and drum tracks. And then when can you send it, when can I send it off? When is it ready to go to the mixer? Wow. Uh, so all those things are, are so you juggle a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, never a dull moment. And, you know, I have, I have punch lists that, uh, that are, you know, up on my monitor screen, uh, uh, literally every morning when I get up, it's like, what do I have to do today? What is today's like, task? Yeah. So when can our listeners hear the whole new album? Do you guys have a release date yet? Uh, yes. It's uh, coming out, I believe on September 2nd. We've Great. released, released two songs so far. There's one more coming out. Um, I think next week on the 12th of August, nice. um, the third single, so to speak comes out uh, and then the full record the first week of September. So that's exciting, man. I've been, I've, the first two songs are great. So I've really enjoyed them. So, Oh, thank you. Uh, we're, we're um, very excited. And of course, very curious to see what happens. Um, and uh, um, just trying to enjoy the journey. And uh, we're working with some great people. The team we have in place is really tremendous. So, uh, we're going to do some some interesting things, some new things in terms of promoting uh, for this record. Um, we have a guy who's uh, helping us uh, deal with uh, 
all the streaming companies, sure. which, mm-hmm. is, which is the first time we've done that. And it's, it seems to be working so far. I mean, uh, the first single leap of faith is on like 50 different Spotify playlists. Yeah, now that's awesome. In, in a span of a little over a month. So that's working. We're also doing something. Thank you. Uh, we're doing something interesting in that, that I saw our manager do with one of her other artists. We're putting up a couple of billboards. Oh, cool. oh really? That's awesome. In Nashville. That's Whoa. oh wow. I saw her. She she posted on Instagram. She was taking pictures of her one of her artists in front of a billboard promoting a single of her artist. And I was asking her, like, do the record companies do that in Nashville? I mean, I know they do it in L.A., but she said, oh, yeah. She said, and in Nashville, everybody has to take the interstate. Right, exactly. That's, that's, how, that's how you get around, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, so if we put up a couple billboards, will all the people who work at the various publishing companies and the labels see them? And she said, oh, yeah. Yeah, they're going to see them. Awesome. I, I don't think I would have done it a year ago. I think when we put up the second record, we were still – we, we weren't quite ready. We didn't quite have enough content, so to speak. But with three records and three or four videos and a, our whole YouTube channel with a bunch of you know, live stream stuff on there and the official videos and uh, some other kind of fun stuff that we did, uh, amateur hour video stuff that we did up there, it was – I think there's enough content there so that if somebody, you know – amongst the powers that be uh, the publishing company sees the, the billboard and goes like, okay, who's that? Who three pairs of boots? Like, what is that? If we just mm-hmm. crack open the door just a little bit and they go to the website, they might, you know, there's an opportunity there that it may propel us somewhere. Absolutely. That, well, here's hoping that's fantastic. Well, yeah. And uh, when our, uh, when we were shooting the pictures for the, for the, the album cover and all the promo stuff, I was telling our photographers, like, hey, by the way, you know, keep in mind, one of these shots has to be a billboard. He's like, what? <laughs> he's done a lot of things. He's a very successful photographer, uh, but he's never had a billboard before. Oh, he cool. Does have, he does have a James Beard Award. Oh, for, there you go. Because he's, he's a, a friend that I've known for a fairly, fairly amount of time. He's uh, primarily a food photographer. Mm. Yep. And has shot. 20 plus cookbooks um if you're familiar with the the dining scene out here in in the bay area (laughs) he has shot for some very um successful restaurants a couple of three stars Benu and manresa uh tartine dandelion chocolate he's an amazing guy he's a photographer surfer baker chef oh wow renaissance Uh, man he's he's an interesting guy he was working uh uh, early on, he got a job at a very successful bakery out here called Tartine. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to learn how to to make bread because Tartine makes like the most incredible bread. <laughs> uh, so he worked there for like five years and became really good friends with the owner, taught him how to surf. And when the owner got a book deal, he asked Eric to shoot the pictures <laughs> because he said, you know more about, about making bread than any photographer I could ever hire. Good point. Uh, and that sort of catapulted Eric into this whole this whole gig of being a, a photographer. Um, he, his, his last cookbook that he won the James Beard Award for 
The New York Times called him the Annie Leibovitz of food photography. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's quite a compliment. High, that is High quite praise. a compliment. <laughs> and, I, I, and I don't know about you guys, but I hate my pictures. Like whenever <laughs> Who does my picture yeah. being taken, I, I, I hate them all. And, but until he comes along and then it's like, oh my God, like, you know, because the initial round is like, hey, pick 20 pictures and that's what you're paying me for. Well, we picked 20. And it's like, hey, there's another nine that I really like too. That's awesome. It's unheard of for me. That's crazy. I have, uh, I'm from Tennessee. I'm from Memphis, but I have family and friends in Nashville. So I'm going to tell them to look out for the billboards. So, uh, yeah, we're doing one traditional and one um, digital. Ooh, nice. Cool. So, nice. as soon as I, when I mentioned that to, because like after I talked to our manager about this initially, I tracked down a couple of billboard companies and, and realized, oh, like, this one company is not that expensive. It's downright reasonable for a couple months. And when I contacted them, they said, okay, well, here are the billboards that are available to you. And they gave me a, a map all over right. Nashville. <laughs> and so I, I sent it over to the manager and she went and did a scouting trip. Oh, wow. Like, like where are these billboards? Good and manager. Which one, yeah. Which one would be the best choices? So uh, yeah, that was, it's nice to have somebody on the ground there. Yeah. That's exciting, Andrew. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's just very, very curious. Uh, and I'm very happy with how the record turned out. We did some things that um, we hadn't tried before. Uh, my recording techniques are getting better. Um, we had uh, a friend of one of our uh, mix engineers um, score horns for a song. He scored horns for Mighty Love. That was a song uh, uh, that Laura wrote. Laura's more of a She's a quality songwriter. I'm more of a quantity songwriter. Nice. I like it. She wrote one song and it turned out to be the title track. Nice. Uh, her, her songs, when she writes them, they seem to get on the record. Uh, and when we were getting close to mixing it, she just sort of dropped like a, oh, by the way, I kind of hear horns on the record. I'm like, really? Okay. So uh, I mentioned it to, uh, to one of our mix guys who had uh, somebody he worked with um, in Enrique Iglesias' band, who was a dynamite arranger, he ended up doing a horn arrangement on that song, and then we did a cover tune. Uh, we did a cover of "The Waiting" by Tom Petty mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with just acoustic guitar, and, and this guy scored a string quartet uh, for it. Beautiful. So that was that was really it was fun, really fun. That's awesome, man. So and it was nice to just you know I wanted I want to try to expand um, my production values. Um, well, I, so. I'm excited for you guys. I, I I told Tom one of the things I liked the most about uh, listening to your music the last two weeks is I love that it. I don't know that I can put it in a genre. I, I you know you you feel it. You feel Americana. You feel country. You feel some rhythm and blues. You feel uh, everything, rock and roll. And I think I think you guys are gonna. I think this next album. I'm excited to hear. That's uh, interesting. You say that. I think that. Um... It is, we do have an interesting mix because we have so many different influences. Um, one of, uh, we had dinner with uh, a friend a few weeks back who's uh, played, he's an older guy, uh, played in one of the original San Francisco bands, a band called the Sons of Champlin. Uh, they didn't make it as big as a lot of the other San Francisco bands back then. But uh, Bill Champlin, the head of, the, of that band, went on to play with Chicago for like 20 plus years. 
Yikes. So anyway, this, uh, this friend of mine, uh, Terry Haggerty, a guitar player, he said, well, I'll listen to the record, and I can tell, you know, despite all the influences, like, you've got, you've got some blues in there. Like, mm. I can hear, like, your hands are like, have the hands of, like, a blues player. So that's so correct, because when I first started playing, I was, I actually didn't like the San Francisco bands. I hate <laughs> to confess that, even though I grew up here. Uh, I was drawn to the English guys. Yeah. Age, Beck, Clapton, Peter mm -hmm. Townsend, Peter Green. And they all were drawn to, you know, Muddy Waters, Howling mm -hmm. Wolf. Mm -hmm. So that's really my Your um, foundation. That is my foundation. In fact, you had a question on here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's see where it is. You're, you're leading me right into it, actually. Yeah. Th this question What album have you listened to the most in your lifetime? And there are two. The let's first one, the first one is. John Mayall with Eric Clapton. Oh, wow. Do you know the record? I, I do. My dad I used to listen to that. Yep. Uh, I stumbled on that record, and it was right in between, you know, when he left the Yardbirds and started the Cream. Mm -hmm. That record is a tour de force of blues rock guitar playing. If you can play along to that record, you can probably play 70, 80% of all the rock and roll licks in existence. Sure. Uh, and my son, who just turned 18, he started playing guitar a couple of years ago. And early on, I taught him a song off that record. And I taught to him just like in 10-bar increments. Um, and he can play the whole, the whole song now. Uh, Super cool. I played to that record. I learned how to play to several records. That one um, you know, uh, was one of the three or four big records where I really learned how to play. Um, and I could still play to half of it if you put it on today. Nice. And the other half that I don't remember how to play, uh, I know what's coming. I just don't remember <laughs> right. how to play it. Right. But in my mind, <laughs> I know what licks are coming. Uh, so that one really, really influenced me. The other, the other one, I, I picked two. Um, that one I've listened to. You know, John with Eric Clapton, I've listened to it so many times. The other one I've listened to probably more than any other record was um, – are you experienced? Mm, the, absolutely. The first, Hendri the first Hendrix record, which I still think is, you know, maybe the greatest guitar yeah. rock record. And it's not just the hits, mm -hmm. you know, Foxy Lady, Purple Haze, Fire, the ballads on that record. 100%. Hey Joe, When Cries Mary, like incredibly mm -hmm. beautiful playing. Um, That's a timeless record. Yeah, Absolutely. In fact, uh, the guy I mentioned, uh, Terry Haggerty, um, there's uh, a story that came out recently here in the papers about Hendrix. Uh, there used to be these free concerts in San Francisco in a part of the Go of Golden Gate Park called the the Panhandle, mm -hmm. which is like the very tail end of the of the park. And they were just like flatbed truck, and Janis Joplin was out there, Big Brother, The Dead, you know, the airplane, everybody. Hendrix played once, and Terry, my friend, was out there. He said, I was sitting backstage with a guitar player from Country Joe and the Fish and Jerry Garcia. Right. And we're just like mouths open watching Hendrix play. You know, this is right after you released the first record. Wow. And they were like, should we just give up? Now? Right. Like, <laughs> uh, so those, those are the two records that really had a huge influence on me um, as a guitar player very awesome. early on. What a great influence. Well, that's yeah. excellent. But, but speaking to, you know, how we, we can't really be pigeonholed, I, I realize that uh, 
know, earlier on that there were bands that I loved. I didn't realize how much of an influence they really had on me, like the Buffalo Springfield, uh, the Birds, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Yep, yep. Uh, Listen to all those. And when we started on this whole Americana project, we were, Laura and I were in rock bands for years and dabbled in some other stuff as well and kind of got into this whole Americana thing like five, six years, five or six years ago. And just like, oh, this just feels so good. This is right. We, you know, why didn't we discover this sooner? Uh, and we loved, you know, there were country artists that we just loved, Johnny Cash and Patsy Cline, um, Amy Lou Harris. And then to sort of be able to incorporate that, like we never had really incorporated that into what we were doing. And you know, when I grew up, my parents listened to all the folk singers. Um, so it's been great to have all these influences together. Uh, even, you know, we don't even recognize that we're doing it. It's just, <laughs> it, just, it just comes out that way. When we were recording, or we were mixing the first record, and there's one song on there that has a very composed, jangly guitar solo. And uh, my friend Bard, who was mixing the record, stopped the song in the middle of it and said, so uh, when does Morrissey start to sing? And like, <laughs> Morrissey? That's awesome. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, like this sounds a little like Johnny Mars. Like, I was going to say, we had to have a yeah, Johnny Mars riff going. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that's right, you know. Um, anyway, so I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that we can't be pigeonholed to a certain it. extent. Love it. Um, it. It maybe makes it a little more challenging, but also I think just a lot more interesting. Yeah. Well, it does make it more interesting. And I think it actually helps in the context of what we're about to walk through with you, because really what you're doing is you're doing all the pre-work to set up all these questions. You're, you're proving why this is useful. You're already talking about all of your influences and how they've been kind of woven together from when you were a kid listening to your parents' records on through San Francisco growing up there to now where you're playing Americana and how you stitched it all together, essentially creating what is a patchwork of your musical experience. And that's really the point of this little quiz that we do is that we want artists or just individuals to share by answering these questions, bits of themselves so that at the end of it, you're like, ah, I know this person a little better based on their musical preferences. So uh, I, you know, I looked at the questionnaire and it's like, wow, like walk down memory lane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I had to really think about it. And I sort of, <laughs> so I, it was up on my screen as I was, I was working on a song tracking earlier today and, uh, I just have this up on the screen, like every once in a while, I'd stop tracking and just like, hey, let me answer a few more of these questions. Let me think <laughs> about this. I a love little. it. <laughs> so uh, that was uh, really uh, um, uh, thought provoking. Well, good. good. Let's uh, jump into. Yeah, let's let's here. go ahead and start because I'm dying to hear your answers to this. I'm already excited about everything you've said, but let's go ahead and just get right into the first question. Uh, what song makes you think the most of your childhood, and why? Uh, I think that was the very first song maybe I ever learned, uh, which was Gloria. Oh, nice. By them, right? Wow. With the early Van Morrison With band. a little Van Morrison, yep. yeah. I mean, I, the, I can remember the first band I played in when I was in like eighth or ninth grade. The, my junior high school, we had, we had Battle of the Bands. Cool. Uh, and it was like, okay, we just need to learn like some classic rock songs. Like what can – what kind of 12 year old, a 13 year old kid actually <laughs> play, you know, within six months of picking up a guitar and Gloria was one of them. Of course, Louie, Louie yeah. Sure, yeah. Uh, had to be in there. Um, the last time by the stones. I remember oh, nice one. 
we did uh, as tears go by. So we were just, we were like into the classic rock stuff. Um, well, it's good stuff. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason and, it's called and, classic. <laughs> yeah. And, and Gloria, I just remember was, you know, it's like every band was playing that song. Uh, I love that. Uh, oh, that's a great um, song. This might take you back to the same period. Do you remember? I mean, you're, that's a, a vivid memory because you're learning to play that. Do you remember the first music you ever bought for yourself? Uh, that one was difficult. Um, but I think uh, I do have this this memory. Uh, we had like a rumpus room down in the basement of the house. <laughs> oh, wow. And I, I, heard that and I would go down there and practice. Um, there were a few songs I went and got sheet music to. Um, and I think that it was a, the first one was the 45 that I bought um, of uh, Yellow Submarine. Oh, no way. That's a great first purchase. So good. <laughs> you know, it was just yeah. like, I don't know why that memory sticks in my head, but uh, I do remember being down in that room. I still can remember what it looked like and, uh, I love that. <laughs> and playing. So great uh, answer. Great choice. By the way, you had good taste as a kid. <laughs> I had to, uh, you know, my parents, um, were not encouraging. I had to, to work to earn money to buy my first electric guitar and my first amp. Mm. And I only had enough money to buy one good piece of gear, even though I needed a guitar and an amp, I chose the amp. I bought a Princeton Reverb. <laughs> nice. Uh, and I, but I had this this cheap, like a fifty dollar Japanese uh, red sunburst with a yellow sparkle pick guard, and the, <laughs> and the strings are like you know this much off the neck. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, but it's worked well out so for a year. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So I think it was Yellow Submarine, probably the forty-five. Uh, I'm trying to think of the first album I might have bought. I can't. I can't really even remember. That's funny. Um, when we first started doing this podcast, we were, we asked each other these questions, and my first one was a forty-five too. So so I I remember buying that. Yep, clearly. We actually um, still have a turntable in. Oh yeah. The oh yeah. So <laughs> And and we have uh, a working. Seaberg jukebox in the dining room. That's awesome. That is so cool. Oh my gosh, I'm jealous. <laughs> it's uh, you know, when we have dinner parties, uh, Laura will put together you know her little playlist oh, and people come so over, cool. and, and we've got you know cocktails going and the, and the money, the music's going. But in like around the middle of dinner, when we've had enough wine, uh -huh. people are like looking over, like, hey, "Is that jukebox really work?" It's like, "Oh yeah," <laughs> and then. It's a free for all, you know. Everybody's like punching in songs, and of course, and there's, I mean, shopping for forty fives. I remember the first time so we good. went to shop for forty fives, and uh, I took a my we were, she was still shopping. I took the first batch up to the counter, and some, you know, old gray haired hippie dude with a long beard and a long <laughs> long hair. He's looking through. And he's a real curmudgeonly kind of guy. He's looking through. Goes ah. Oh, this is the first time anybody's ever bought ABBA and Fats Waller at the same time. <laughs> I say, the ABBA's not mine. It belongs to her. Too late, buddy. That's great. Yeah. Actually, I like ABBA. So, you know. Yeah. Well, that's actually a good segue because ABBA is often a music you dance to. So, um, what song makes you dance regardless of where you are or what you're doing? Uh, I'm a terrible dancer. Oh, you, uh, don't you don't have to be good at it. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you, I don't normally dance 
that much. Um, I need uh, inspiration. And I think my inspiration uh, actually um, is the same as my choice for a song that I would would get up and dance to maybe quicker than, than most others. And that would be Tequila. Yes. Perfect. That's I on mean, one of my playlists where I'm teaching my kids about music in my car. It's such a good song. I mean, Pee Wee Herman, right? That's right. He, exactly. Yes. He danced. He danced to Tequila. So that was the one that just sort of jumped in my mind. Like, what what song would I dance to? But it makes uh, sense. That it is a totally when you hear sense. it, you you do something. You react. I, yeah, I Pee Wee Herman dance to that song every time. <laughs> well, uh, Tequila, um, which is sort of my preferred um, choice of spirit. Um, does tend to uh, loosen me up a little bit. There you go. It has that effect. <laughs> and so does the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, good music should make you dance. Good music should also make you feel. So one of the questions we always like to ask people is, mm. what, what song that you, what, I mean, maybe there's a lot of them, but there's one that all of us have that when you hear it, almost every time it just makes you cry. Yeah, I, I said, well, I'm not sure if I quite get the crying, but there's certainly songs that, that make me sad. Of course. Um, She's Leaving Home by the mm. Beatles. Ooh, wow. wow. I don't think we've had that answer no, that's yet. that's the that first makes, time we've heard a that. Really that's good a great answer. answer. Wow. That's, that's one. Um, I mean, we're kind of experiencing that a little bit now. We have an 18-year-old mm -hmm. son who just graduated high school, and in a couple of weeks, we're, we're taking him off to college. Uh, very happy, very proud, and sad. Mm -hmm. I, we understand both We've of us there. have kids doing yeah. the same thing so <laughs> oh really are, are they are they um around that age yeah my son just finished his freshman year of college yeah i have so. three oh. i have three that have moved out already for school or other reasons yeah wow it's yeah hard. it's uh it's really bittersweet however i have to say um you know as as much as the sadness hit me a little bit it hasn't hit laura yet it will mm -hmm. once we once we drop them off um but on the day of graduation right after the ceremony and everybody is congregating up on the big front lawn in front of the school and there's you know beverages and food and all the parents are everybody's celebrating and the official school photographer is taking the last <laughs> picture of each of the kids in their gown or whatever i have never seen my son happier oh, oh that's beautiful. In, his, in his entire life that's beautiful and he's a bit of a chill kid he doesn't really he's not outwardly emotional mm -hmm. man he was beaming that was because he had a little bit of senioritis and sure so happy to get out of high school yeah well well hopefully the uh the college on the other end of that it's worth all that emotion you know i hope uh, for him I, it is yeah i think it is i mean so you guys have already experienced this this transition period it's it's um it's it's interesting and so she's leaving home is kind of mm. a little a little bit about that sort of thing um yeah for sure that's a really interesting that's a parental answer for sure i get that answer completely i think yeah. people without kids might not necessarily understand that particular answer but that makes a lot of sense to me yeah it's it's funny because i i wrote probably four or five songs in uh april may as the graduation was approaching and uh i played them for laura because you know when i'm I'll write a batch of songs and play them for her, and then she gives me the thumbs up or thumbs down. Mm -hmm. um, more often, thumbs down. She's very, <laughs> so she's very particular, very particular about what she wants to uh, sing and mm -hmm. what she connects with, which is great. She's, um, and it's like having an in-house A and R person. I love it. Uh, <laughs> brutal on my ego, but 
very necessary because I think she's pretty much always right. Right. And early on when, when we were going through this and I was really starting to write a lot of songs uh, and she turned one down and I started arguing with her like, no, no, what about this and this? She's like, look, I have to love a song. So if, if I say no and you really, really love this song, you got to fight for it if I'm saying no. I said, so do you really love this song I just turned down? I said, well, probably not. I like it a wow. lot. It's got good pieces to it, but mm-hmm. no, I, I, I'm ready to move on. And that was that was a good lesson to learn. I think the other really kind of makes me sad. Uh, it's very poignant. Is um, Folsom Prison, oh, Johnny Cash, yeah. great, you know, great, great the guy in prison, and he, and the trains rolling by, and you know, they're smoking cigars and drinking brandies, and yep. he's stuck in prison. Just stuck there, never gonna get out. Yep, uh-huh. that is a great. Yeah, very, I love, very I sad. Love that answer because. You know, it's got that it's got that that upbeat riff, but a really deep, mm-hmm. uh, melancholy lyric. I love that. Oh yeah, it's it's a striking song. Um, it's you know, even though we have all these different influences on the record, and we can't, we're not really you know, country or folk or rock in of itself. Um, there's still, uh, and I think it showed up even more so on Mighty Love, uh, kind of a continuation from Long Rider. That there's a certain Western feel, yes, for sure, to yep. to to what we're doing, um, whatever that might be, uh, which I love and, and translates so well to guitar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and you can hear it clearly. So, yeah, and I, I just love that. And I you know I'm discovering even now because I listen to a fair amount of country, but I'm listening to even more and discovering more artists that I'm really uh, wondering. Like, why haven't I listened to this person right. before? Or <laughs> kind of so thing, nice. you know? Yeah. Um, like Vince Gill, uh, I got onto a few years back. It's like, man, like, how did I miss this guy? Like, who knew this guy could rip on a guitar well, and yeah. sing? And like, yeah. what? A oh, lot of people knew. Like, we just didn't. That's all. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. He's like a triple, he's a triple threat. He so. is. Yeah. Well, hopefully, this is an emotion and an experience you never have to go through again. But maybe once upon a time when you were 18, uh, you had one of these. So back then, in your old days, what was your go-to breakup song? I think this song uh, probably is the answer to two questions because it might answer uh, the biggest guilty pleasure as nice. well. Nice. <laughs> okay. Uh, Both sides now, Joni Mitchell. Oh wow, man! Did you did you got either one of you guys see her uh, her her appearance at Newport last week? I, I haven't. I want to see that. Though. Man, it, it's goose. It's goose. Is it really good? Yeah. yeah. I, I saw pieces of it and it was like, oh my God, there she is. It's like, right. there's Joni. Right. After yeah. all this time. Yeah, it's still Joni. Mm-hmm. Um, but both sides I mean, now. I, both sides now. I mean, the original version was great, but then the orchestral one that mm. she did later on. And, you know, that that movie that uh, uh, it was featured in with Emma Thompson is such an emotional um, song. And it just fits so well in that scene. Oh, it does. Uh, so yeah, that's that one's you know because it's it's a little I don't want to say sappy, but it's it it really tugs at the heartstrings. It does, uh, yeah. And she's such an incredible poet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's um, I mean that's the thing I struggle with. I think the most um, I find it easy to write music to lyrics. Um, I usually start with lyrics, and lyrics are harder for me. Oh wow! Uh, because I'm not, 
I'm more of a storyteller, I think, than a poet. Gotcha. Right. And so it's, it takes me, you know, a few days or more so to, to really craft the story to get it where, you know, in my, you know, four minutes that I've got right. in a song that you can tell the story. You don't want to give it away completely. You can't be too obvious, but you want to, you know, give the listener something to hang their hat on, sure. but also want it to be something that can be interpreted differently by different mm -hmm. people. Uh, but that one's, I, I have a harder time with lyrics. I spend more time on lyrics, I think, than music. Really? Well, I think yeah. that's so interesting in listening to your music. I think these questions are doing exactly what we hope they'll do because I can see that because I think of Joni, you know, you're saying that song evokes emotion in you or you or break up emotions, whatever those are. But I think she's one of those rare songwriters that is equal part poet and storyteller. You know, I, yes. you know, if you think about the way she delivers her song, sometimes it's it's a very linear narrative. Mm -hmm. However, it's still in a very poetic manner, and I think that that's just a perfect answer. Listening to your music, that's great. Yeah, I, I, when I listen to some of her songs here in the studio, uh, which I'll do from time to time when I like need inspiration, I'll pull up songs and and pull up the lyrics, and I look at her some of her songs, just like, how did she think of that? Right. Like, yeah, it, it's it's not complicated or you know but you know in a sense uh, simple many right. times i mean great songs especially in the country idiom simple but so difficult to come up with that beautiful simplicity yeah absolutely mm -hmm. exactly and she's great. she's just such a great poet i'm just very jealous <laughs> yeah i think a lot of us are yeah so. well-directed jealousy well the, yeah. the, the next question it's funny because some people have an answer some don't um some people don't or, or everyone interprets it differently some go very literal and and but but we we, we think of it broadly but music often is sexy mm. you know and 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 we always ask our guests what song is a was a sexy song to you you know i well that wasn't a question i sort of related to that much i don't think of music in that way just yeah because i'm uh i think i'm a little more reserved and pragmatic <laughs> but i mean i immediately thought of rod stewart okay you know do you think i'm sexy but there then, you go <laughs> but the artist that i think that that hit me for the most sex appeal in some of the songs that he does was prince Oh, wonderful answer. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's probably our most yeah. answered artist for this question. The guy could be singing yeah. about the end of the world, but somehow it's still sexy. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, you know, uh, the um, you know, Raspberry Beret mm -hmm. and uh, um, just, you know, whatever. The song that Sinead O'Connor covered. I can't yes. Remember. Nothing, nothing, nothing compares. compares to you. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. he's just, he's just a sexy artist. I mean, and he, uh, I want to say he stole. He he borrowed. I mean, we're all borrowing from from everybody, and he just borrowed so much great stuff from James Brown mm -hmm. and and Jimi Hendrix, Curtis Mayfield, mm -hmm. all kinds Curtis, of yeah, things. Curtis Mayfield, mm -hmm. like just great artists that he channeled uh, and created his own his own personification, his own genre himself. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Great I have, answer. I have a few friends who are just like absolute 
Prince is like, that's it for them. Like he's sure. their favorite artist. I can relate to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I would say, you know, any number of Prince songs uh, could fit into this uh, particular category. <laughs> Great it's answer. It's a wonderful answer. Well, you seem to be, because you've been in, in music for so long and you do so much of the production yourself, the emotional resonance is different for you. So I'm wondering if you have an answer, but I'm curious, uh, what song do you go to when you need to work out anger? Uh, that was a tough one. I, I sort of pondered that one um, and uh, couldn't really find yeah. a particular song um, that uh, I would um, uh, say uh, that where I work out anger. I tend to, if I'm not, if I'm feeling that way, I'll tend to um, go out like, go to the park, go for long walks sure. and, yeah. and not listen to anything. That makes mm -hmm. sense. Especially if you are a musician, that makes Absolutely, a lot of sense. I yeah. get that. So there, there wasn't really any song I would turn to that when I was angry, when I was angry, it was like, I don't want to listen to music. I like, I love that answer. Yeah, I think that it's a wonderful a lot of sense. Well, what so, about, what about a song that another question we always follow that up with, um, and everyone, I interpret it, I was an athlete in high school, so I wanted a pump-up song for athletics. But some people that are maybe artists, what, what, what's a, a song to pump up the crowd or a song to pump you up? Like, do you have a song that gets you pumped up? Um, well, there's a song that, that would definitely get me moving, you know. Like, if I, need, if, if I need a song that would sort of act as like a cup of coffee there you uh, go. Uh, yeah. to me, the song that really got me going and always just um perked me up was um giant steps john coltrane whoa awesome answer wow what a great answer can you, you know it's 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 a just it's a tour de force uh of of saxophone playing maybe maybe the greatest jazz saxophone mm -hmm. performance that i've that i've come across it's so fast and so up just dry moves yeah. It drives. It just moves constantly. It's it's an incredibly difficult song to play, but it's so melodic and so just fantastic and brilliant that I hear that it's just like it just it just gets me going. It's just like that melody uh, just really really does it for me. And it's and it's you know it's just so fast. It really like is. Like you said, just driving. Mm. Um, so that one, it's just it's a great record. Uh, but um, that song really like has stuck with me for a long time. I love that. It makes me so happy. Great answer. Yeah. I love it. You're, you're I just, answering these questions the way I would answer similar questions about movies. I, I, I geek out really heavily on films, and, and I, I often find myself talking about them in a way where people are looking at me going, I don't get what you get out of it, but I understand that you're very passionate. And I, I can relate to you on the music, but I just love how deep dive you go on all these answers. It's, it's really fun. So <laughs> you're a musician's musician. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> with, with movies. I mean, I have favorite movies and sometimes I'll be like, Oh, do you remember this one line in the, this scene here? And people are like, really? Yeah. You really watched it that many times, you know? Yes. Um, it's it's kind of like, you know, guys are always known for like quoting the Godfather. Like, you know, sure, yeah. they live like, isn't there some, something somewhere like, you know, every, every guy lives their life by, you know, the Godfather quotes or something. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Some of us have Godfather quotes on T-shirts. I'm not 
pointing fingers at myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. So this, uh, this question, we have been rejected on an answer multiple times, especially from people in, in the industry, but it's fun to ask anyway. In your opinion, what's the most overrated album of all time? That one, I, I wrote an answer to that, and I said, well, I, there are a number of albums which I, and artists who I think might be overrated, but I really don't want to name names because I just don't want to get into trouble. Totally. Totally. Uh, totally get it. <laughs> that's totally fine. We sure. ask anyway. Um, I think the, the one uh, um, example I would give uh, was um, there was a band in San Francisco with a great lead singer, but the guitar players in the band I thought were just absolutely not very good and kind of ruined the record. And in fact, when she, the singer, got signed to a bigger label deal because their first record came out on a very small label, the first thing that she was told was, fire the band. Oh, wow. <laughs> we want you. <laughs> uh, yeah, we want you. Fire the band. And that's what she did. Unfortunately, she passed away soon after that first record came out. So, mm. man, I'll leave it to to you two to figure Perfect. out. Maybe. Perfect. I love that. And maybe we totally get is. it. I, I think hey, I'm reading we, between the lines we, here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we totally get it. You know, well, well, this one you can I, I imagine you can answer because you're you're, you're giving praise and mm -hmm. it is it is um, it's relevant to the person we ask. Mm -hmm. But in your opinion, Andrew, what is objectively the best album ever made? Uh, that's, that's such a difficult question to answer. Hard. I mean, so we've, hard. we've played, we've played this game here amongst, uh, both my, my wife and I, and with close friends, you know, okay, you're, you're going to be stuck in a desert island desert for the rest island. of your life. Yeah. Yeah. What five, what five albums yep. do you take? You know, yep. uh, I so think pick, that, a, pick uh, one of the five. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what I wrote down was that, uh, well, somewhat impossible to answer yeah totally. Um, i would say that um possibly uh a particular performance that i like of the brandenburg concertos really i have listened to those those concertos hundreds of times awesome. that that music is is it's at the height of his power complex complex so melodic i'm kind of a math guy i mean my other job was was very math and math puzzle oriented mm -hmm. and he's a somewhat mathematical mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. composer uh uh just the, the those concertos are just so incredibly beautiful and deep and just i can listen to them i have listened to to them you know hundreds of times and just found great joy and so much meat on the bone there for for those concertos. Um, there's something interesting I, that in one of my music classes when I was in college, there was a four semester course that went from the 15th century, like the history of music, 15th century mm -hmm. all the way into the 20th century. And uh, one of the things that was pointed out with Bach was that back then, of course, everything's very strict and you know, the church dominated mm -hmm. uh, there. Um, and what was outlawed at that time was what they called 
uh, the, the devil's triad. Oh yeah. Yes, the yeah. tritone. Yeah. It's a tritone, whatever, yeah, whatever that, and he just managed to sneak that you know, <laughs> dominant <love> <laughs> fifth chord <laughs> <Yeah>. subversively <laughs> all over the place without them ever knowing, uh, brilliant. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. It just made such good use. Um, if I was to jump ahead to, you know, uh, later times, the, the two, the two albums I wrote down were, um, revolver, Oh, and great. are you experienced? Great, great, great. First great answer. So, yeah. but yeah, the Brandenburgs—it makes uh, sense. Yeah, I would, I would take the Brandenburg Concertos to the Desert Island. That's so. so good. Thank you for answering that. I have, I have a sidebar question based on how you're answering all of these. How do you feel about prog rock? Because it seems like your sensibilities would say I like it, but I don't know. I'm just curious. Um, I used to like it. Ah. I was, uh. When I first started playing, I was I was a rock and roll blues guy, hardcore. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as I got into my twenties and um, grew up a little bit, all of a sudden it was um, a lot of classical music, a lot of more modern classical music like mm-hmm. ABC, Ravel, Schoenberg, mm-hmm. uh, Prokofiev. I mean, I love Prokofiev's Romeo and Juliet. It's an incredible piece of music, and a lot of jazz. Mm-hmm. And a lot of really modern jazz. Um, mm-hmm. I was a big fan of the Art Ensemble of Chicago. Mm-hmm. They were really a wild, wild group. Um, so, uh, I'm sorry. Now I got off track. What was the? I'm sorry. I was just asking about prog rock and your opinion on oh, that. Oh, prog rock. Yeah. So I, I went through my prog rock phase. I went through my uh, yes, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, mm-hmm, Gentle right. Giant. Uh, face i still have a gentle giant record if you, i don't know if you remember that oh that yeah band. oh yeah and uh never got rid of my records but didn't have a turntable for a long time so we got a turntable a few years back and uh, laura had kept all her records too so one day I, I pulled out a gentle giant record i put it on like oh let me listen to this i haven't heard it in you know 10 years or whatever right <laughs> and she came walking down the stairs she's like what the hell are you playing? What <laughs> what is that? Sounds like my wife if I wouldn't put on <laughs> I mean, she's she's younger than me. Um so to her, like her very earliest memories were, you know, the pretenders, Elvis Costello. Sure, yeah. <laughs> she completely bypassed prog rock and doesn't understand it. Like she she never listened to the Mahavishnu Orchestra right. or ELP. Right. Like that, that never that never made it to her. Rush, any of those, right. you know. Yeah. I mean, I made it through there. I mean, I went through it and uh it served me well. Um I learned from it. Uh, but sure. um you I got back it. to <laughs> Yeah, I mean and, and I went through, you know, my guitar hero phase uh and realized that um I'm never going to be able to play as good as Steve Vai right. sure, or, yeah. or Eric Johnson. <laughs> right. Uh, so I have to be content with being a good musician and mm-hmm. good songwriter and good producer. And I'm also a big melody hound. Yeah. Uh, yeah as is that. Laura. So uh, to me, it's more about like, I don't need to show off my, you know, fantastic riffs. I want to play a good melodic soul that, that you can remember that fits the song. Sticks with Perfect. you. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of, I think I'm, I'm beyond the, the prog rock Love guitar it. hero sure. kind of thing. It was interesting that uh, I think we were listening to Bruce Springsteen's book on tape one time when we were traveling and he kind of had the same uh, point of view about himself early on. Uh, Cause he was initially more of a lead guitar player mm-hmm. in his right. early bands. And he, I, I just remember him saying, 
you know, I listen to the cream and I realize I'm never going to be as good as Eric Clapton. Right. I, I better do something else. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. So he, he became a songwriter and that was. And, and, and somewhat successful. Yeah. We've heard of him. Yeah. He's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's getting into a little bit of trouble these days. But I saw so. that actually. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's charging a lot of money. I did see that too. You know what? Yeah, I, I don't quite understand the, the dynamic ticket pricing, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, but, it's weird. Look, when you've been around as successful as he is, it's really, as a fan, you can either go or not go. And if you're going to go, he can charge whatever he wants to charge. People I mean, will go. It's, it's his choice. It's not my business. Yeah. But I don't know. Well, I, mean, let's get back I, to I agree with that. Yeah. You want to see him, you go see him. And, yeah. and, and to a certain extent, it doesn't matter how much it costs. You want to see him. That's right. To, That's exactly right. You have to see him. That's exactly right. I, you know, I wasn't that big of a fan of his. Um, and years ago, I went to a concert uh, of his. Um, somebody invited me, and it was like, like I just experienced like going to church for the first time. That's exactly what mm. it's like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's like, he's a preacher, and the band is so good, and they can all sing right so well. Just it's another really, level. Yeah. Yeah, really impressive. Well, this so. is a very interesting, and I would say intimate question for everybody. Um, what song most defines you and why? Uh, the one that I picked um, was, uh, again, off of one of my favorite records, and this is um, Are You Experienced? Love it. Because I, you know, even at um, where I am now in my life, I still feel like a teenager, like, uh-huh. like an immature teenager. And I think that's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, that song really talks, you know, the sort of questioning people about, you know, what have you experienced and where are you going to go to experience that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I look at that and just figure like this, this is me. Like I'm still looking hmm. for the experience for, for something. Uh, and, you know, they, the, the classic cliche is like, oh, it's the, you know, it's all about the journey and, you know, not about the, the pot of gold at the end, which I, I think is really a true sure. uh, statement. So I'm just looking to continue to experience um, new things. And that's what I love about playing music that you just, you don't know where it's going to take you or who you're going to meet. Um, so I love uh, that. When we played that gig a couple months ago with the bass player and drummer, uh, um, there were people who showed up, uh, and when I just met the bass player and he was referred by a friend of a friend. Um, and it turns out that he had like, you know, a dozen or so friends, musicians who I had known as well. I never knew him, but mm-hmm. I knew all, all these people who were his friends right. who played in all these bands and they showed up at the gig. And it's like, what, what are you doing here? Like, you know, how'd you get here? So it's, it's the, you know, and that's, it was just another new experience. Um, that, that particular gig, I experienced one other new thing, uh, as did my wife, our, our drummer, who's a very good friend of ours. Um, he was a real, um, interesting guy, happy Sanchez. Mm. Uh, that was not his given name at birth. I but, love the name. <laughs> uh, he, he gets the gigs like, you know, 15 minutes before the gig starts, sets up his drums. He's like, Oh, I'm hangry. Like I really need to get something to eat. I said, well, uh, I think it was a pizza place, you know, on the next block. So he sent his wife down there and, you know, she comes back with the pizza and we start and we 
start the start the show. And about three shows, three songs in, uh, Laura looks back and she sees three slices of pizza on top of the bass drum, <laughs> and in between songs, Happy's just like stuffing a, a slice like in his mouth, like okay. That, I've never experienced that before, you know. That is amazing. <laughs> I, I respect the commitment. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting character. He owns um, two rehearsal studios here in San Francisco. Oh, nice. Um, the first one is a 60,000-square-foot warehouse wow. with 150 rehearsal rooms. In Whoa. San Fran? Wow. In San Francisco. There's some production studios in there, but most of them – they're all rented monthly. Really? And and he's, you know, up until a year or two ago, almost never had a vacancy. Wow. And he has a second place that's 50 rooms. Jeez. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's 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 an incredible guy. I've, I've played in some bands with him. We did a, in the 90s, uh, we, we decided to start a record label with a few other people doing Latin rock. Mm -hmm. And it led to us, the two of us putting a band together. Uh, called Los Macosos. That was a really very interesting experience. <laughs> um, so, and more recently, I we've he put a band together. I was playing in on the side besides three pairs of boots, a band called the Hip Hispanic All Stars. The Hip Hispanic, <laughs> the hip Hispanic All Stars, twelve piece band, horns, Whoa. Latin percussion. I started out playing bass, then I played guitar, and at the same time recording albums for three pairs of boots. You know, I love it. That's awesome. So that was uh, so. I think uh, the experience of being a musician sort of is never over. I love and that answer. Should be. I, I love where it leads me to, and I love the the uncertainty of it all. That's great. Well, again, you're good at building segues for us, so that leads into the very last question, which is the ultimate end of it all. And it might seem cryptic, but it really, I think, it speaks of legacy. I think people have an opportunity to use a song to define legacy. So when your life is over, if the only way you could tell people your life story is to leave an album behind, what record are you going to leave behind to reflect your life story? Um, that was an interesting question to, to reflect upon. Um, and I think that uh, as sometimes uh, I can be gregarious in interviews and I do them a lot more than Laura does. Um, I still find myself to be more of a, uh, a person who thinks a lot about things mm -hmm. and um, uh, I don't generally um, project out that much. I, I will hold back and yeah, be a little more um, reserved. Mm -hmm. uh, so this particular record um, probably – um, says a lot about one big side of me. Um, it was a record that my father um, liked a lot when I was a teenager, and I completely did not understand it, being a rock and roll guitar player. Uh, Miles Davis, In a Silent Way. Wow. Oh, wow. You know, from the Bitches Brew uh -huh. um, recording sessions. That record, it's, it's so peaceful and um, positive uh, and beautiful. Uh, it just, it, I think it says a lot about what, what I try to be as a person. Um, 
to um, uh, project love and positive mm -hmm. feelings and, and heartfelt. Um, he's, he's such a dynamic player. Sure. And so understated, uh, incredible. I mean, not really a great person. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, he was a pimp and whatever, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, but his, you know, musically he transformed himself mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. he had incredible bands. I mean, the bands he put together on that particular record, his three keyboard players in the band, Chick Corea, Keith Jarrett, Joe Zawinul. They, he had all three of those on one record. They were all on that record. Oh, John unreal. McLaughlin. John McLaughlin was on the record. They, they, you know, that was the the whole bitches brew sessions. Right, that, the all stars. Right. Yeah, uh, incredible band. But that, and I remember my father sitting in his chair in his in his bedroom, and you know I was you know fifteen or sixteen, and he was playing that record, and I was like, "What's that? You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. give me something loud." Mm -hmm. uh, only to realize, you know, 10 years later, like it just became one of my favorite records. It's so, uh, like I would sometimes put that CD, uh, when back when CDs were around, sure. I, I had a CD alarm clock and I would just like, that would be a CD I would wake up to. Um, it's just, it's so it's, it's subtle, uh, but just speaks so much to me. And, um, musically it says, um, a lot about what I like. As much as I like the Headbangers and and sure. I'm a huge rock and roll fan, but you know records like Jao Gilberto Live in Montreux or Emmylou Harris Wrecking Ball. Oh wow! Uh, you know those types of records that are uh, more subtle. Um, River and a Thread by Roseanne Cash. Yeah, these are not bang you over the head type records. They require um, you know multiple listenings. Sometimes they're they're records that. I might not even like the first time, but then you go back mm -hmm. and listen a few more times and all of a sudden it just, just grabs you. Um, there's just a lot of depth to it. And that's a record I have, can listen to a lot. I have listened to a lot. So I think it, it says a lot about um, what I like in music, uh, a more impressionistic, mm -hmm. um, more, more subtlety, mm -hmm. um, uh, melody, uh, depth. Um, that's, that is what I have gravitated to. Uh, I went through my, you know, prog rock and rock and roll and blues, whatever. I went through all those and loved them all. Uh, I think that, um, country music at its, at its best is, can be a really simple, mm -hmm. uh, and beautiful format and, and doesn't have to, you know, knock you over the head like Led Zeppelin. Right, right, right. For sure. You no, know, I love. Even though I love Led Zeppelin, um, and I, I don't hold it against them that they maybe didn't quite give enough credit to some of the blues guys sure. the first right. couple of records. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we won't go there. That's right. That's been covered. That's <laughs> been covered. That's excellent. We Thank just... you so much for sharing that answer. Super uh, intimate, vulnerable, honest answer. And I love that your goal in it is not to impress anybody with, I don't know, your your taste in guitar virtuoso performances or lyrical content, but rather the love that's projected in that album peacefully is what resonates with you and it's complex and open to interpretation. And that's the story that you would want to leave behind. I just find that to be fascinating. Wonderful. So thank Absolutely. you for sharing that. I, you know, I also was trying to think of something that, that might not be so obvious for you guys. I, I, I love, appreciate that. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, That's great. I just, 
Oh. Everything you said is is I we have a I can tell the three of us have a lot in common. We could probably sit down with a bottle of tequila and have a good time, you know, and, uh, and oh, the yeah. jukebox and the jukebox. Yes. So. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, come on over next week. Uh, we'll do a jukebox <laughs> uh, jukebox drinking session. That's perfect. What, well, the once about the, the uh, billboards take off and you're touring, we'll meet you on the road somewhere. Ooh, that'd be amazing. yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be great too. The the jukebox thing is like to change. The song, the 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 singles in there, it's like an all day affair. Oh, I can imagine. It's easy. Well, you know, first of all, you know, Laura and I are, you know, um, have dueling tastes. Like, okay, well, if you're gonna put in that Blondie single, and I'm gonna put in this Ray Charles single, you know, like we're <laughs> we're constantly juggling back and forth. But the hard the hard part is that once you get the the singles in there, you have to write all the text. Right. <laughs> and and it's it's very 1950s technology. You sort of pull these these things out in the front where all the tabs go, and you have to sort of slide them in. And I, you know, oh, I love it. Them I, from falling apart, I have to like tape them in. And oh, you're making me happy. This sounds like a labor of love to <laughs> yeah. me. Oh, it's yeah, it's great. My my um, sister-in-law is a big um, blues aficionado. She's had a blues show on uh, public radio up in Northern California for like. 20 plus years very knowledgeable so uh last time we changed the jukebox out she was here and so she and my older sister and laura and i we all were sitting around we have like 345s and the, the jukebox takes 50 right <laughs> nice. so we're all putting in our two cents worth and and because people know i have a jukebox they'll just like hey i was like at some garage sale and i found this box of 45s and bought it for two bucks here you go uh-huh and it's like filled with stuff i've never heard of you know right. like so sometimes we picked a couple like we'll pick a couple things that are like oh we've never heard of this let's just throw it in there it's like like the joke discovery kind of 45. <laughs> uh, i mean it's it's really it's fascinating to it is see what they what they put out on 45s i mean i have a Keith Jarrett, 45. I have a Rasan Roland Kirk, 45. And I just was thinking, what record label executive decided <laughs> to put out a, a single by Keith Jarrett of solo piano? Just because they could. Just because. Yeah, I guess. Uh, anyway, uh, well, I forgot to, to, maybe you mentioned it, but where exactly are you guys? Oh, yeah. Well, so we're located in Southern Oregon in Medford. Oh, that's right. That's right. We talked about Medford. Yeah. But right. we're, we're not from, he's from San Diego. I'm from Memphis mm -hmm. and we ended up in Oregon. So yeah. Ah. Yep. And we, well, we're, we're going to, we'll wave as we go by. We're going up to, uh, to Portland in a couple of weeks to drop the kid off at school. Where is he going to PSU or where is he going? Uh, no, he's going to, uh, uh, Lewis and Clark. Oh, Lewis. That's a great, I have, uh, friends whose son just graduated from there. So yeah. Huh. Yeah. He had a great experience. I think he'll love it. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good fit for him. Perfect. Excellent. Man. Well, thank you so much for taking time to do this. Yeah. It's been super fun. Well, it's, it's great. Love meeting both of you guys. Uh, always love talking music. Always. Us too. Yeah. And we can't wait to hear the rest of the album. I really do. I I I I told Tom I was like, I love it because it to me it sounds like at one moment I feel like I'm listening. I, I hear the influence of like. Uh, Graham Parsons or like the Flying Burrito Brothers, and then I feel like I hear Cindy Lauper, but it's not like a cover; it's your own stew. I, I'm excited for the record, man. It, it's I really like it. So, oh well, thank you. Uh, Wendy hasn't given you the whole thing yet. No, not yet, not yet. I've just oh. I've, been, I've been listening to the Spotify singles. Yeah. So, oh. yeah. 
I might have to talk to her tomorrow and then <laughs> send you guys an advanced copy or two. Ooh, that would oh, be that, amazing. I, I, I love it. Thank you so, so much. <laughs> okay. I'll work on that one. <laughs> well, thanks man. Tell your wife. Hi. And yes. And honestly, if you, if you need, uh, um, anything when you're in Southern Oregon, just, uh, yeah. just Wendy has our contacts. Let us know. So, okay, great. Nice to know. All right, man. Have a good evening. All right. Take care guys. Thanks Thank a lot. You. Thank you. Bye.